Today's episode is brought to you by Cradlepoint. The future of WAN is wireless, but a wireless connection is only as good as the edge. Cradlepoint unlocks the power of advanced cellular through wireless edge solutions that are delivered the way you consume everything IT, as a service. Learn more about Cradlepoint's cloud-managed LTE solutions at cradlepoint.com slash packetpushers. Cradlepoint.com slash packetpushers. Today's episode is brought to you in part by ExtraHop. Think analytics, folks. ExtraHop is the enterprise cyber analytics company delivering performance and security from the inside out. More on ExtraHop later in the show, but if you just can't wait, visit extrahop.com slash packetpushers to find out more. Greg and Ethan here today. Hi there. It's just us. And we wanted to speculate in this episode on what the impact of 5G and private LTE might be over the next several months and years on enterprise wireless. That is your precious Wi-Fi network. As in, will you need a private Wi-Fi network with APs you lovingly hang from the ceiling after a careful site survey and artisanally paint your heat maps and, and there's clever SSIDs with accompanying policies or... Will you be at the point where you can just dump much of that responsibility onto your telco and let them do all of that for you? Now, if this sounds like a ridiculous premise, hey, this is a thought exercise. We don't have all the answers here, but there is a lot to think about, both from the telco and enterprise side. And so Greg and I are going to take both sides of this argument and kind of have a conversation, roll these ideas around in our head and, and see what comes out. Because the reality is 5G is coming. It's finally actually at that point where we're going to see some deployments very soon. Maybe some deployments have actually happened. Private LTE is a thing that has uh, uh, been productized now. And, and we're hearing more and more about private LTE as a service that is going to be offered. Companies uh, like Salona are coming out of stealth with offerings in this space. So it seemed like a heck of a time to chinwag about this and to do it early, Greg, before we have to yes. uh, you know commit and actually know what we're talking about. We just kind of make it up as we go right now. <laughs> well, a little bit, not quite. Um, I wrote a white paper for Ignition on this, 5G in the enterprise, mm -hmm. and talked and had a go at some of the different aspects of how 5G fits into the enterprise IT model. Um, so if you're feeling that that uh, watching words instead of listening to them is a good thing, then by all means uh, do that um, if you're a subscriber to the to the site. And that the process of writing that forced me to sit down and think, really hard about what it was, what it is about 5G that isn't just more bandwidth. Well, there's, and, there's a lot of things about 5G, just as if you were to dig through all the 5G specs and standards, there's a ton of different services, there's a ton of different spectrum that are being used for different use cases and applications. So, right, it is a lot more than just a bandwidth. Actually, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you disagree? <laughs> <laughs> the conclusion they came to is that for now you've got to remember that most enterprises really aren't doing much. Like they're not using the advanced features of the telco networks like the telco networks want. I think a lot of the features that they talk about in 5G, you know, that you get the marketing hype and they talk about telemedicine and cars and IoT. My current sense of it is, is that most enterprises aren't going to go down that road. They're much more likely to go down the road of... Um, just using it for more bandwidth. Well, because a lot of those applications are vertical specific, like like telemedicine, sure, there's a very specific use case and there's someone that's going to use that, but it's not going to be the, the the majority of the market. Specific people have an interesting reason to use that stuff, but but right, most people care about one thing. That is the pipe. How big is that pipe? And then, well, to be fair, also the quality of that pipe too, uh, I think is a mm. big part of the story. I, I, well, I think, I think the big things behind 5G are... 
it's going to be faster, right? Within limits. Like it depends on, it's like wireless. If you're close to the 5G base station, you can get anything up to 10 gigabits per second in theory, right? Which, okay. If you're not close to the tower, yeah, you know, five gigs, two gigs, one gig, you know. Um, They're talking about things like um, really high density MIMO antennas. And I think the early versions were talking about four by four or 16 by 16. And now they're out there in the conferences talking about 24 by 24 or even 64 by 64. So if you can imagine that, 64 antennas doing beam forming on each handset. Now, so that is, so what the result of that is that you're going to get this massive density. So when you go into high density places in the world, like London or New York, uh, sometimes in San Francisco, although density in San Francisco is not particularly high compared to some cities, um, you have this problem where your phone really struggles to get data and to get data through. And that's because there's not enough towers and the towers that are there are all overlapping and you know, there's lots of lots of stuff going on in the back end. So having this MIMO means they can push more signal, uh, get more density in a given area. So that's going to be good. Well, it, it's one of the reasons we can get that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reasons we can get more density. That that is definitely one. But there, there's also the uh, talking about putting microcells out in, in high density areas. So you've got um, uh, fewer people on an individual point of entry to the network at a time. Fewer people assigned to the radios. Um, that, that's kind of special case, but in the urban environment that you're talking about where you could use millimeter wave, um, to cover, you know, a very small area and help mm. offload you know, major amounts of people talking to just a few towers. Uh, yeah, there's that. Um, there's also the, well, and then there's the antenna design, which I talked about is using MIMO. Mm-hmm. The one behind that is when you use MIMO antennas, you have to do a lot of software processing to judge the yes, signal because you you've got to do this, right? <laughs> so to do that, you've then got to have a software-based RAN. So you can't keep doing it the way they do today, which is these custom hardware appliances. So what they're doing is this much more flexible radio access network. So the radio access network is the piece where as the radio signal comes in to the base station, it gets fed into, it gets switched from analog into digital, and then the signal processing occurs as, as an app, as software, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do that, now all of a sudden your base station starts to need an awful lot of x86s, maybe even with FPGAs or GPUs and that sort of stuff. So you're not going to deploy 64 by 64 MIMO everywhere. You're just going to do it where the cost of a base station and the density of users makes it make sense. And maybe you have a 24 by 24, and even in rural areas you might just have 5g like but basic you know whatever so it it is complicated in the sense that there's also a shift underlying in the 5g infrastructure they're moving away from the old monolithic software running on custom hardware to x86 software running in vms on a network functions virtualization or nfv type of business model yeah that transformation has been ongoing for years we've been covering that um and seeing news articles about that for uh i don't know gosh maybe 2012 or even earlier uh, Cord Central Office Rearchitect is a data center, for example. But the whole premise of building out that CO, that on ramp, as a very flexible x86 COTS cheap, turn the central office into a series of services that can be whatever you need it to be um, mm. for these services that you're describing today, and then whatever the future may bring, without having to rely on super expensive hardware to get all that yep. done. So to me, as they uh, the telcos roll out 5G, the uh, on the presumption that that is what they've got, that's the platform they have to build yeah. on now, they can offer all sorts of services that I think may make this more interesting to enterprises than just 
5G more <laughs> bandwidth. Well, I think that let's cover some more of the basics before we talk about services, right? So you're going to get greater speed because they're using yeah. new encoding mechanisms and you're going to get, and because they're going to spread the signal across multiple frequencies, that's certainly yeah. something. You're going to get better latency between you and the tower. Uh, and the latency, again, relates to these new frequencies and spectrums and the new signaling methods. That the, It's always a balance with 5G between what the 5G edge, like the actual smartphone or the, the device at the edge, the modem that's in there, what can it do What and what can the antennas do? So it's a gestalt between you know, the silicon chipset, the software in the, in the smartphone or the router, and then what the antennas look like and then what the base stations do. So it's definitely going to be improved speed, improved latency, improved density for reasons we talked about. There's, the density also relates to signaling because they're using increasingly high f- frequency spectrums. So as they get up towards 6 gigahertz, those signals only last about 50 meters before they run out of puff, right? <laughs> Which is kind of amazing. So, you know. Well, 50 meters, I think, is a little short. But, but yes, I understand what you're, what you're well, saying. There, yeah. there are some things that are literally 50 meters. They're talking yes, about definitely. producing small cell 5G where 50 meters like cover a floor in a building. Yeah, the millimeter wave signals, stuff is very, very, very short. Yeah, yeah. It can't even penetrate a pane of glass. Right. Like, you sort of thing. So you, you're going to be able to put them in, on a lift shaft, and that's about it. So you're going to be able to get a lot more density if you put a lot more base stations around and blah, 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 blah. So there is that. Um, I think also the big shift is going to be from the telco side is they're going to have some really good analytics on 5G. So the legacy 3G, 4G networks doesn't have a lot of software. They sort of come from that era before software-defined networking, if you want, was a thing, that that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I think now that when they did a, a 5G, they realized that software-defined or putting a, you know, basting your solution with lots of applications and cloud and stuff, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect metaphor, basting, yes. (laughs) Was the right thing to do. So I think you're going to see a lot more uh, analytics. The the, the 5G might be working better for the same reason that SDN is working better for enterprises. They're going to see that working better for telcos. So lots of fundamentals are going to change with 5G if and when it comes. So just one more thing about that. The 5G standard is an evolution. Even within the first generation of 5G, they've still got six or seven more planned. And each one of those adds spectrum, adds radio signaling, adds radio handling, adds new services like NBIoT or LoRa. We'll talk more about those as time goes by. Um, so there's the 5G that you get now is not the 5G that you'll have in 10 years' time. And that it was a key learning for me, knowing that it's not fixed in time. It's not... 5G ships and we're done. It's 5G point one, point two, point three, point four. So yeah. Okay. As far as the evolution goes, I didn't know that exactly. I knew the standards were being were morphing fairly steadily. You know, and deployments mm-hmm. are still early. Um, but to know that the standard itself is going to you know evolve beyond is the way you're describing it is uh, is interesting. But because you figure. They'll just call it 6G or whatever. You know, they, they got to got to rebrand and get people to upgrade and you know, and so on and so on. Um, but well, one I, of the things I that... tried to read one of their specifications and wow, <laughs> <laughs> instant coma. <laughs> <laughs> I promise well, you. So yeah. one of the things that's implied by all of this build out of 5G, uh, all of the new technology that's there, everything that's been happening, rearchitecting uh, central offices, especially is a massive investment by the telcos to pull this off. Um, And and a lot of this has been uh, implied by investments in open source projects and in software-defined networking. Um, But then the infrastructure itself is a big deal. 
Um, telcos need to recoup this investment. And I think one of the ways that they can recoup this investment is by leaning into the enterprises and getting folks to leverage their 5G networks uh, as enterprises more heavily and perhaps pulling some people away from Wi-Fi. At least it seems to me that that's a theoretical possibility, Greg, that Hmm. if you are used to operating a large enterprise Wi-Fi network, um, maybe, maybe it's worth considering, can I just move all of this wireless off to the telco? And I think it's a complicated answer because we've written yeah. lots and lots of notes kind of kicking this <laughs> idea around. Um, but there's pros and cons to it, both from a telco perspective and from an enterprise perspective. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, and it's going to vary according to the market that you're in. So for example, here in the UK, where I live, I can get fixed price plans with unlimited data and in that ca- and I very rarely find myself connecting to the Wi-Fi so if I'm at a a bar or out moving around at a restaurant I don't connect to the local Wi-Fi because there's nothing to be gained for doing that because I've already got unlimited data on my phone however in say the USA for example the telcos have a much more dominant position and they put data caps on and that yes. means you're much more conscious so if you want to watch a YouTube video while you're eating dinner um, you probably want to connect to the hotel Wi-Fi or it, have it, already it, downloaded. It, exactly, yeah. yeah. It's it's a throttled, unlimited connection that I have on my plan, for example, where it yeah. is, quote-unquote, unlimited. But if I exceed 22 gigabytes of use in, um, I think it's a month, they begin to throttle me back, and mm-hmm. I get a nasty note in my iMessages that says, hey, you've used too much. <laughs> Go slow now, buddy. So it's, it's unlimited. We're not making but, but a profit not. anymore. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We um, meant unlimited, but we didn't really mean unlimited. That but, but if they want to have all of that business, then I would assume, I'm hopeful that 5G means they don't have to cap me like that anymore. And if I'm in my hotel room and want to stream Netflix, uh, I can do that and not uh, quickly blow through my unlimited data plan. That still gets me that it's unlimited, <laughs> but it isn't. Um, but, you know, now move that over to an enterprise perspective and think about what we're beginning to hear more and more about, Greg, with private LTE. Now we don't know yeah. all the mechanisms of private LTE, how it's going to work, and you know all the standards mm-hmm. behind it, and so on. But we have a vague idea that private LTE is sort of like having a private MPLS network. You're on a shared infrastructure but it's been established in such a way that it is private to you and whoever else is on that private LTE network with you. Um, In order for that to make a lot of sense to me, I would assume there there may be some kind of data caps, but but essentially I'd want to not have to worry about them too much as an enterprise. I just want to put my people on that private LTE network and and go forth, go forth and and do business, (laughs) make make things for us so we can make money as a business. Woo. Yeah. if I can do that, let's, you know, again, we're making a ton of assumptions here that that's what plans would be uh, available and would look like, then do I need Wi-Fi? What is the role for Wi-Fi in my building at that point? Uh, you know, again, a ton of assumptions built in, yeah. like good coverage, uh, what my client density is, and, you know, is it possible for me to onboard someone's iPhone to a private LTE network? It's one thing to connect, to build out a 5G network in your factory, say, and have a private. So let's say I'm a company that's got a, a, a very large branch network all the way across a geography, geographic region, right? Maybe the USA or, or maybe inside of the UK. Let's say you've got four or 500 stores and you've decided that the idea of buying 
fixed wireless networking doesn't work for you for some reason. I think the classic application I once saw was Coca-Cola machines. You know how they're always everywhere? And they always seem to be full and powered up and in good shape. And that's because they were all connected to the 3G network. And Coca-Cola had gone and negotiated with a telco in each country, and they bought a private 3G slice on the 3G network. And for all, I don't know what data was flowing over it. Presumably, it was unencrypted, right? Because it was a private network. And they knew every time a Coke can was sold out of one of those machines, if the, how much money was supposed to be in the machine, and if the machine needed servicing or if it was under attack. You know, if the machines are being rocked, it would send you know, messages <laughs> and so forth. So that idea of a private network slice has been around for a long period of time. But if I was deploying Coke machines today, I'd just use the internet. I'd just connect to general you know, internet because I mean, this, this private 3G thing was from 10 years ago. And 4G's got the private slice, 4G LTE. The 3G thing is an access layer. It's it's a day yeah. one, I need to connect this vending machine to a network somehow. How can I do yeah. it? Well, what's the easiest way? You're in you're in some closet, you're in some outdoor kiosk, wherever you are, mm-hmm. 3G is the way to go. Or, or yeah. over the air is my point here is the way to go. <laughs> Quite often, it's just a power socket on the back of a, of a building in the middle of nowhere. You know, so, so but, but that doesn't change. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying connected to the internet. Sure, there's lots of secure technologies that would keep that data uh, mm. secure uh, at this point. But how do I connect them to the internet? I still got to connect them somehow. Well, you know, yeah. So the three G. You know, if I was just connecting to the th- to the internet, you know, three G, four G, five G, then that would make sense to me. Um, I think the private LTE or the private five G gets fairly complicated when. Let's say you're a factory and you've been using Wi-Fi and you're struggling with Wi-Fi reception because your factory's got these big machines. Machines are putting out RF and your mm-hmm, Wi-Fi mm-hmm. is not coping, right? You're yep. in the two point, you're restricted to the 2.4 gig and the 5 gigahertz bands. You can only transmit 100 milliwatts, the maximum. And if you've got to put Wi-Fi base stations throughout your buildings, that in itself, you know, getting to the roof of a factory while the factory line is working, you know, it can be problems yeah, yeah. or you might have to have special approvals. The, the physical scientist who runs, if you're in a food processing plant, you can't just put a Wi-Fi base station up next to the production line. It has to be checked to make sure that it can't, I don't know, there's some sort of process. I remember doing this, gosh, it's been 20 years since I worked in a food processing plant, <laughs> but I was, they, the, the guy, the person in charge of the factory health and, you know, the, the hygiene I loved the Wi-Fi stuff because it meant not having to run cables everywhere and the cables would all fill up with residue and then, you know, bacteria. So Wi-Fi was better than that. But some people look at the Wi-Fi now that's going and being screwed into the roof becomes a hygiene. So if you put up 5G and then you're in this different range of spectrums, you've got allocations of 5G spectrum spreading from 700 hertz all the way up to 6 gigahertz. Well, now you've got much better range. So maybe you could put, you know, if you've got a big factory plant, you could put up a couple of 5G towers to just handle that entire site as a one You're talking That's, about particularly the lower bandwidth stuff uh, that yes. has better signal mm. propagation, penetration into difficult to, uh, That's right. to, to deal with areas and buildings. Well, more importantly, and, yeah. the device, if you've just got a standardized 5G device, it can make its own decision about which band it connects to, provided your LTE tower is configured. Now, mm-hmm. putting up a tower like that is a substantial challenge. You have to go to the local council. You have to apply to use Spectrum. You have to. You know, that's not something you're just going to, you know, putting up a base station on a 30-meter tower requires f- concrete foundation. So you, <laughs> you, know, you don't the, – and the, the but, thing but, that holds them up is a specialist, you know, construction. 
But but if you back that up, I mean, we're talking about that. That's a general purpose tower that would support the general populace, and, and right, all of those things are required. But now it, it's interesting. This just popped in my head with the scenario that you're describing of a mm. factory that needs coverage. If I'm the telco, would I invest in a small tower that maybe I put right on the roof of the factory or on the campus <laughs> yeah. somewhere uh-huh. just to support that customer because I've got the client density and it's gonna it's basically gonna pay for itself yeah. if I make that investment and I don't have to go through all of the exotic you know, it minimizes the interaction with the local town and uh, municipalities. Yeah. Um, so we did that. I've done that. There. Uh, we had uh, when I was working for a bank and they had a head office. And part of the negotiation with the telco, with the mobile phone company was that when we were in the head office, any phones that were connected to the home system were call free. So the idea was is that people would use the smartphones to replace the PABX, but they installed a base station on top of the building. So they covered yep. the whole building and any calls that were within the base station were not charged. Does that make sense? So that, yep. and okay. then of course, when they roamed off, they got to you know, charge. Yeah. Like, and, and, and of course yeah. there's plenty of telcos who offer some sort of a micro cell uh, to internet solution where it's, it's broadcasting cell into yeah. the building and it's actually gateway to the internet. So it all becomes VoIP uh, at, at that point, something like that. Very, the super cheap way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd been different ways by the telcos to do that. But of course, all those things fell by the wayside because that sort of customized service didn't last very long when the, consu- and there's, there is a distortion here the consumer market is much greater than the enterprise IT market. Back 10 years ago when we were doing this, the business market was the major profit driver and revenue driver for the mobile phone market. Consumer market is also, is highly mm. dense and also, uh, I would say, easier of a customer to deal with. By and large, on boredom and then they just send yep. you money every month um, <laughs> yeah. for, for the most part. But there's just so many of them, right? And if yeah. you've got you know, 97% of your customers are doing this and 3% are doing this specialized, unique thing. And you, your whole business becomes optimized for the 97%. So your business special services just becomes a pain in the ass. It's, it's a different, you know? yeah, it's a different profit model though. I mean, with the yeah. with the consumer, it's a bit of a price to the bottom. Maybe you've got like in the US, you've got Verizon who tends to charge extra because they claim to have the best network, which is somewhat true based on my experience. Um but by and large, it's that's that's just a it's a volume game. They're they're making up the numbers on sheer number of subscribers. The enterprise game's different. They charge you a lot because you're a pain in the butt. You know, they charge mm. you big money because you're 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 annoying yeah. to deal with, and you introduce complexity to the network. And there's support staff mm. that's got to handle you. But they are raking in huge dollars. Uh, on the services that they provide for you. So, I mean, I think telcos are, you, you, it sounds like you're making the argument that telcos aren't going to be really be that incentivized to support the enterprise in this way because there's not enough money to be made. But I, I think that there is. I think it's going to vary from country to country and it's going to vary um, in different regulatory models. So if the government-owned telco has a monopoly, then they're going to have a business services because they're going to be able to make an excuse. You know, part of their, part of a government monopoly exists to make jobs right? And so that things are good. What happens after that is going to be, you know, we'll see. But my point is, is that the bigger telcos in the advanced, you know, the G8 or the G20 countries, Mm -hmm. they're looking at how much it costs to deliver a service. And if your business, if you're delivering an enterprise product to customers, really, you don't want to be doing something in the towers or the network that causes complexity or problems, really you just want to be doing a billing hack in the software in the back end, right? Because then you can manage that. 
but the days of doing private network slices, like I saw today, uh, I was following a tweet stream from a particular conference and somebody popped up and said, they think that network slicing will never get off the ground because it's too complicated. And the complexity of the software and the licensing, the, the telco vendors, you know, product vendors want to charge extra for slicing. And then you've got to have the management software and then you have to have a cost strategy and then you have to have, oh, bloody blah, yeah, blah. But that's blah. not different from what we have in a private MPLS network today. Not, not, not from an architectural perspective. The no, technology is different. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's very similar to the offerings that, that already exist. But the MPLS networks were built 20 years ago when yeah. money wasn't an object, right? In times when they had a monopoly, they could charge whatever they liked, and they could go and forward, they could roll out MPLS and and make it profitable by just, you know, charging whatever the cost, whatever the cost was, they charge more than the cost. So so just to, just so I understand this, you're yeah. speculating that private LTE, you know, again, a yeah. term that we're hearing come up as it's going to be a service offering. You don't think that's going to be pushed very heavily by the telcos because you don't think they can make enough money delivering that service? I I, I think in the same way, if you, you have installed a microwave link between two sites. I have, yeah. Where we go out to a wireless company and they come and bring it in and then they put it up. But that was so unusual that really there was only ever a handful of suppliers for that. That's yeah. what I think will happen is that it's... Um, Hmm. something that just a few companies will do. But if you're a telco and increasingly what the telcos are doing is they don't own those towers anymore. There's a, they don't want to own the towers. They share them, right? right? Because right, really right. what they want is just the service. They just want to send you a bill and make money. And so what they're doing is they move the towers into a company. So in the case of the UK, there's five, four uh, mobile phone companies and there's two companies that own towers. One is a joint venture between the other three. So the three companies own the tower company, but they all share the towers. So when they decide to put a tower in a location, three telcos just come and share the resources that are there. They share the antennas, they share the infrastructure. The cost is all done, but you don't know that that tower is equally owned by all of the different telcos in the company, right? Mm -hmm. So right. if you're that business, does that company that puts up the towers have a mandate to go and put up private towers? Does it want to? Well, again, going back to the network slicing idea and private LTE, we're making an assumption here. I'm making an assumption that private LTE would be tied directly to network slicing technology, which has been written about ad nauseum quite a lot for the last few years. Um, why would I need private towers necessarily? Hmm. Exactly. And I mean, in, in other words, I'm arguing that it's a software service that we're being, we're, that, yes. that would be offered here. And, and you but know, but if you're assumption, running, if you're a, if you're a tower company running 10,000 towers in the UK mm -hmm. and you've got 20 private LTE towers, do you really want to have that or do you just want to say we don't do that and just push them out? You just want to focus. You, you know, if you're a factory and you've got this massive production line, you know, producing Kit Kats, you don't make custom one-off so, <laughs> you know, so, Kit so, Kats. So, so then, okay, so let's let's play this out then. Someone mm -hmm. wants this service and someone's going to provide it who does it. I think the the answer then becomes the big global providers. So from an American perspective, I would look at Verizon, uh, perhaps AT&T, and so on. Those who have a global footprint being able to provide an interesting global private network where they've got the um, both financial and uh, the, the will of the board to make such mm. a service because I can see it being profitable for someone like that. But the local and the regionals... Nah, because why would yeah. they do that? 
Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to come up with, so I guess the flip side of this is if you're going to come up with private LTE as a market, <clears throat> and then you've also got to say uh, IoT sensors that go onto the factory floor that are going to, are they going to connect to Wi-Fi or are they going to connect to 5G? Are you going to be able to get 5G options for those sensors? That's another side of the consideration. It's not just a case of do you put up the tower, but if you go out and get a, you know, Raspberry Pi and hook it up to a vibration sensor, you've got Wi-Fi, but you don't got 5G. Now, we've been talking about this in the context of private LTE, but but in that example you just cited there, why uh, an, L, an IoT device doesn't necessarily need private LTE to deliver data, just a connection to the internet is fine. And it, it you know, hmm. rely on uh, TLS, whatever, to secure the transport of that data back to wherever it needs to go. That would be fine. You know, there's plenty hmm. of models that do exactly that. It, it, you know, it's a little different use case there. But I mean, we, we know that that exact thing is going to happen. It, it, it's more an issue there of whether you're going to have IT, IoT devices that can actually get on to a 5G network because do they have that radio in them? Okay, everyone, this episode is on pause to briefly consider wireless WAN with today's sponsor, CradlePoint. CradlePoint understands that the future of the WAN is wireless, but a wireless connection is only as good as the edge. CradlePoint unlocks the power of advanced cellular through wireless edge solutions that are delivered the way you consume everything that is IT as a service. Reliable, elastic, simple to manage from anywhere. Maybe you've never heard of CradlePoint. Fair enough. CradlePoint is a global leader in cloud-delivered wireless edge solutions for branch, mobile, and IoT networks. And that means they have hardware you put on-prem that builds your WAN using wireless data services. Their boxes can be standalone or uplinked to your router via an Ethernet port. There's lots of choices in their product line to support whatever architecture you have in place today or need to build tomorrow. Now, don't limit your thinking to just connecting buildings. Think about connecting anyone, anywhere. The CradlePoint NetCloud service, delivered through routers with built-in LTE, delivers an agile, pervasive, and software-defined wireless edge that connects people, places, and things everywhere over LTE. And if you're pondering the mysteries of 5G, yes, CradlePoint has you covered with a clear pathway to get you there. You manage your CradlePoint environment via their NetCloud Manager tool that offers secure onboarding of devices with zero-touch provisioning, exactly what you'd expect. And you can set up SD-WAN with CradlePoint 2, either with their own solution or as part of an SD-WAN solution you might already be rolling out. And maybe you're thinking about IoT and security. Yeah, CradlePoint's got you covered there. Their NetCloud Perimeter solution handles that. CradlePoint is an established company. More than 18,000 active enterprise and government organizations around the world rely on them to keep critical branches, points of commerce, field forces, vehicles, and IoT devices always connected and protected. Interested? Okay. So to learn more about CradlePoint's cloud-managed LTE solutions, visit cradlepoint.com slash packetpushers. One more time, that is cradlepoint.com slash packetpushers. And now, back to the podcast. So smartphones have the radios in them. Does well, not today. That, they don't, but which is which is <laughs> yeah. another another risk yeah, yeah, here yeah. for an enterprise. But yeah, yeah, I think we'll I start to saying. see. We we're seeing some phones come out with five G. I wouldn't race yeah. into buying a five G phone yeah. for the reason I talked about. There's another, you know, it's uh, iterations of five G, and the phone five G that you buy today might not be the five G. It'll be it's a phased implementation. The future five G will have new radio antennas and new spectrum and new signaling, your phone won't have. A bit like the old um, iPhone 1, 2, 3, and they went from 2G to 3G, but the yeah. difference between 3G in the iPhone 4, 5, 6 was just worlds apart. 
And part of that was improvements in the hardware and the software, but part of it was improvements in the 3G network itself. So I think that it's the 5G as a smartphone technology makes sense. Coming up with the private LTE, it makes sense in a sense that you want those the better spectrum, the longer haul coverage for an entire site with no other thing. But if you're going to include your IoT devices, we don't necessarily have the right signaling unless you start talking about NB-IoT or LoRa, right? Which is a different type of thing. They're very low-powered WAN technologies. And there are other types of signaling capability that um, are still emerging for IoT devices. And they're still three or four years away. So, you know, well, some maybe... Well, that exists. I mean, LoRaWAN deployments exist for sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Well, they do, but they don't. So they exist as sort of like local references. Like there are companies out there using LoRa to do dog tracking, you know, pet tracking out of your house. Mm-hmm. And you can get two kilometer radius around your hat yeah. and know if your dog is there. And we are seeing networks grow over time, but it'll be interesting to see how that comes out. That's an interesting, maybe we'll talk more about that in a minute. So let me talk, let me ask you for an opinion on telco incentives again to offer these sorts of services. Now, one thought I had was if I am a telco that wants to onboard more and more people to my network and get them off of the enterprise Wi-Fi, I need to offer some of those premium services that we were describing. Uh, let's say I need to do security inspection. I need to offer that because I used to do that myself before when I had all of the Wi-Fi in-house and I was running it through my own gateways and you know, so I could send it off to Zscaler in the cloud yeah. for inspection. Okay, if I'm shoveling all of that off of my network and, and putting it on the 5G network, I would, as an enterprise, want the telco to be able to provide that security service uh, inspection yeah. for me. So my point is there is a opportunity for telcos to align themselves with some of these companies, and it could be lucrative. It could make telcos some money there, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I love that face, buddy. That's perfect. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying really hard to find something that doesn't say, no, you're wrong. So can I say- <laughs> Hit me. I can take it. Hit me. <laughs> I think the challenge here is if I'm a vendor like Cisco with Umbrella or Zscaler or Palo Alto with their Prisma Cloud or you know whoever, there's dozens of these things these days, right, that are sitting in the cloud doing the security. Why would I partner with one telco when there's hundreds of telcos around the world that are going to use it. And I don't oh, even gosh, need I wouldn't. to. I wouldn't you know, partner with one telco. I'd partner with as many telcos as I could. But why would I partner with them at all? Why wouldn't I just t- give the person an app to put on their smartphone and do if, it over Because the if the assumption is 5G is going to be a major on-ramp to the internet, therefore yeah. this is an, another way to get that job done. Um, mm-hmm. So if today I am... As the enterprise using that service, I would look at the telco and go, okay, I want the telco to be able to you know, partner with me to make that stuff happen. The enterprise wouldn't contract that necessarily uh, themselves. The telco could do it as a value-add. And for the right kind of customer, they want to do all that shopping at the telco, not have to, to split that off themselves. Um, and so, so it becomes a value-add, one-stop shopping kind of approach. I get your point, but I think the world has moved past, moved on. So we're much more likely to see the apps living in AWS or GCP or Azure or Alibaba, you know, the big clouds. And um, they're, they're not going to want to do any business with the telcos because what's the value add? Where, you know, 
if I have to put together a team of people to negotiate with AT&T or British Telecom, life's just too short for that misery, right? Mm. And, and yes, there is possibility, but I think they're more likely to do something like what Netflix did where they put a node inside the telco network so the speed is improved. So, for example, Netflix has thousands and thousands. I don't know the exact number. The biggest part of Netflix's infrastructure is not AWS. The biggest part is the content delivery network they built around the world to stream yes. movies out to all the people. So if I'm a 5G person, I want the Netflix nodes inside my content delivery network. I imagine by now they're either charging Netflix or have come to a deal with Netflix to put those there. I'm not sure who wins out of that debate because mm. the, they don't have to carry the bandwidth if there's a node in the appropriate regional location. So maybe there's a win-win. But if I'm Zscaler or Cisco Umbrella, maybe I'm looking at putting my stuff inside the 5G network to make sure that it runs faster. So that instead of backhauling the Cisco umbrella traffic from, you know, the UK to Ireland where the data center is so that it can roam off to the internet, I'm actually putting it inside of the 5G network. That assumes an upscaled implementation of these scanning services that makes sense. But the idea that, you know, Verizon or British Telecom or Deutsche Telecom or 3 Mobile or T-Mobile are going to offer you a service that is secured by Zscaler as a retail, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I can't imagine a, operating those services at a retail scale at a price that makes money. Mm. They're enterprise services targeted at enterprises because enterprises have people who know what a security alert means. But if you've got um, grandma ringing you up going, why is my Zscaler telling me not to go to my bank? That makes no, I want to get access to my bank right <laughs> well, now. We're talking about two different audiences. I don't, I'm not even thinking about the consumer side so much as the enterprise side. Yeah. I, I do actually agree with what the point you just made. Grandma doesn't care and we don't want her traffic yet to have that sort of problem. Um, because of the scenario you just painted. She is going to call it up the support center complaining. But but for but an enterprise, again, flipping this on its head, if we're, if we're looking at, in theory, retiring Wi-Fi, maybe replacing private MPLS with some sort of a 5G uh, yeah. private network, then the enterprise maybe wants that. But let, let's move the conversation along because there's one uh, yeah. thing we really haven't talked about is why – why would an enterprise maybe not want to do this? What in, what risks are introduced to the enterprise if you were to consider phasing out your Wi-Fi and moving all of those handsets, et cetera, all of those endpoints over to 5G? Yeah, I mean, and there's a ton of reasons here. I mean, you got a bunch of people that know Wi-Fi well. They've probably been doing this in your enterprise for a long time. So presumably well. Maybe there's some people that don't know it so well. It's just an, an AP hung on a wall. But for, for particular for complex installations, you've got staff that knows how to run it. It is it works. I mean, it's mature. It's been there forever. You're never going to get rid of your Wi-Fi because you always got these legacy devices that are out there that are never going to be able to get on that 5G uh, network. That's that's a thing uh, for mm. sure. We talked about the signal penetration problem, uh, Greg, and you know potential performance issues that are that are there. Latency yeah. is a potential problem. Um, yeah, and then you know yet a, a, I... kind of the biggest one for me, Greg, and I, 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 uh. this may make you laugh, but. If I'm an enterprise, how's my relationship with my telco today? <laughs> you know, let alone, let alone yeah. putting all my eggs in their basket saying, yeah, yeah. you're going to do it all for me, man. I want to yeah. do internet. I want to do wide area. I want to do all my handsets on uh, on 5G now and retire my Wi-Fi. And I love you so much, telco. Only yeah. no one's ever said that ever. No. I. Uh, well, some people do. We, we've had this discussion with a few people and they go, oh, I'm not having any problems with my telco, which just makes me want to go, uh-huh. <laughs> what? What? You know, it's like 
<laughs> because, I mean, my experience of working with telcos consistently for 25 years was just misery, unhappiness, lies, exaggerations, falsehoods. I, I, I wish I could tell you different. You know, you find yeah. the occasional, you know, jewel in there, some person who really cares or an account rep that actually takes you seriously. Well, that always uh, lasts but, for a but, while before but, they get beaten down. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then, right, the, the, all the, the kindness and helpfulness is beaten out of them by the system, and uh, then you're back to wherever you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I, again, I wish I wish you were exaggerating and, and so on, but it's yeah, been, I had the same I guess, experience. I guess the way I see 5G playing out, I think there's two, there's many things to think about here. One is you've got to think about 5G now, now, so one, zero to three years. And then there's a 5G that goes from two years to five years. And then there's a, a, a much longer thing, right? Because 5G is going to be around probably for a decade. You could argue the point. I don't think there's any 6G plan. They're going to waffle on about it. But I think they're going to have this many, many iterations inside of the 5G as they finesse that system, but they're going to try and roll it out as early as possible so that they can force upgrades into the network. Okay, fine. Kind of kind of get used to that, but that's okay. I believe that the, the obvious one is SD-WAN, where you apply an appliance to the edge yep. of the network, which lets you use 5G as a form of bandwidth. Now, yep. the question to my mind is if you're using it for SD-WAN, which means you're basically using it for bulk bandwidth, you've got to be able to embrace the uncertainty. How fast is your 5G network? Who knows, right? And most people are still stuck in the MPLS. I've got guaranteed bandwidth between point A, point B, you know, like good old 1970s, A, B, bandwidth, this. I know exactly what's going on. It's incompetent in the modern era to do that. It doesn't make financial sense to buy guaranteed bandwidth in an era of cloud. If you want to think of 5G as cloud bandwidth, not a bad corruption of the concept of the cloud is as much bandwidth there as the cloud will let you know what i mean i'm glad you said corruption yeah okay <laughs> yeah the metaphor breaks so, down quickly but yes i get your yeah, point you know like there's bandwidth there and you can just use it and you know if you need more of it just get more of it get another 5g yeah. in low balance yeah. so i think the 5g as an sd-wan is definitely a thing and uh we did a we did a podcast recently which we'll publish in a few days from cradle point yep which is worth and they're talking about entire um, branch networks going just to 5G. And that's not a lie. That's They're doing it, like with dozens of customers today, because the hassle of maintaining um, multiple wired networks just doesn't make sense for them, or they want the hot pop, you know, they've got solutions that use it. So it is interesting to see it from that point of view. Yeah, and, and Cradle Point also just, since that's fresh in our mind, we just recorded that show with them yesterday or the day before, Mm. Um, can help you with that problem of how much bandwidth do I actually have on this 5G at the moment? Well, yeah. they can talk to the radio and figure that out. You know, they, they know so coming back to this, you know, we said before about what does enterprise get from 5G? And he made mm -hmm. the point that if you're going to buy, you know, 500 branches worth of 5G, you don't buy 500 SIMs and 500, you go and negotiate with them to buy a bulk bandwidth for the whole company. Right. Yes, right. A, a pool of bandwidth, I think, is how a we describe it. A pool of bandwidth. Yeah. You're going to buy, yeah. you know, X terabits per month or something, whatever it is. And you're going to negotiate for your bandwidth very differently than you do from your phone. So you've got to... And this comes back to what I said earlier about the billing. They're going to solve the enterprise need by a hack in software, not by giving you a different physical thing. In the old days, they would have sold you a business-grade 5G and there would have been something specially magical about it that was, you know, it could have been unicorn tears sprinkled on top, but who knows, you know. Mm -hmm. yep. So, and I think that, you know, his point was that some people are actually just using 5G because the idea of negotiating with 20 different vendors globally was just too painful. 
So well, that 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 is that is true. You know, dealing with mm. one or two is painful, but dealing with a whole mm. bunch is uh, you know un, unthinkable for a lot mm. of companies. They have approved vendors, a, a process for dealing with them, and and that's it because doing yeah. more is too hard. Yeah. But reconciling telco billing is pretty pretty oh. nightmare experience. I worked at worked at you... companies where that was someone's primary role in life was to <laughs> audit and figure out telco yep. bills and make sure that discos yep. had been disconnected and we weren't getting billed for them anymore and these kind yep. of things. It yeah. sounds like public cloud. There are now people whose entire jobs is to just go over the public cloud bill. There's a career experience you want to have, isn't it? <laughs> we'll be back to this podcast shortly, but we're going to talk about ExtraHop, a packet pusher sponsor first. Your job probably includes managing applications, network infrastructure, and so on. But how do you do that when you can't even see everything those apps are running on? When half the network the app is running across isn't even yours? Add to that SDN changing things in automated ways that maybe feel out of your control, or devs and other business units firing up their own cloud instances and then expecting you to support it even though you've got zero instrumentation. These scenarios are some of the ways that ExtraHop can help. ExtraHop is a leader in network analytics, and they help you consolidate tools into their analytics platform and make sense of application performance running over infrastructure that's sprawled beyond your data center and across the internet and then into the cloud. ExtraHop offers complete visibility and leverages machine learning to help you make sense of the mountain of metadata about your network. And in the end, you can make informed decisions about your IT stack and do it quickly. If you go to extrahop.com slash packet pushers, you can find out more about the ExtraHop performance platform. Once more, that is extrahop.com slash packet pushers. And now back to the show. Another question I have for enterprises that are maybe thinking about, you know, could I maybe just retire my Wi-Fi and move over to 5G is security. What does that look like for you? Now, today, you've got some kind of admission control, you're doing some kind of security inspection, you know, and so on. You know, maybe a private LTE network turns into like there's a gateway that's like a terminus point to get you from private LTE onto your network. And that becomes like a choke point where you do inspection. I'm totally making that up. I don't know if that's a thing or not. Um, you know, there's different other ways that you could solve that problem, but it, it does become an interesting question, especially if you're subject to certain compliance and audit requirements. You know, what does that look like in the 5G world if you've outsourced that? You've solved that problem internally already. How do you do it well, you, if you try to outsource it? I think you've got to have, you've got to have, if you're not already working towards the zero trust boundary, you know, the Google Beyond Corp model, as it's sometimes known, yep. where everything, there's no such thing as a trusted network. There's just a network. Now, whether that network is privately provided or whether that network is public provided makes no difference. Every application should be integrated with the identity system. Not the network just integrated with the identity, but everything. Not just your remote access VPN, not just your mobile device manager. Everything should be part of your mobile device manager. And that's a track that uh, VMware is headed down, right? Their recent acquisitions are saying, we're going to use the NSXT virtual switch and we're going to integrate it with the Vela Cloud. And you can see that the VelaCloud is going to have a remote access VPN. They're going to have a security scanning service up here. That whole unified model all assumes that you're just going to go to the, there is no trust in the network. This is where network slicing gets whacked again, right? You're not going to trust the network because you're not going to trust the network because half, something like three quarters of your users are going to be coming in from the internet. Why would you attach to a private slice? But, but it is early days and vendor dependent, vendor specific on the solution now. So that... How this is going to play out is interesting. It's a it's a yeah. big dollar grab at the moment. 
Um, I mean, people are struggling just to deploy identity in the campus, like the Wi-Fi and the wired in the campus. What's it going to look like when you start saying, you see that SQL database, you see that web app that your accounting system runs? We need to integrate that into the identity system too so that we actually capture. Now, Cisco's made attempts at this with the SGT, right? The security group tagging stuff. Yep. But that's still very Cisco proprietary. Yep. It's not industry-wide. There's you know, right. I don't know. So, you know, there's, not, there's a long way to go down that road, but that's where you want to be, but all of these solutions never trust the network. Well, again, your point here is if we work with this, if, if zero trust becomes a pervasive technology because we don't trust the network, then it doesn't really matter what your path to the network is, what your transport to the network mm. is, because you're running a zero trust model. And so you're not going to yeah. admit and allow uh, any of your endpoints to talk to any of your other endpoints unless. Um, you know, you've met policy and all of those things. Mm. Mm, the transport is whatever it is. Who cares? Five G, Wi Fi, wired doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and of course, it's one of those stories which that's fine for Google. Google writes all of its in-house apps. There's very little that it buys off the shelf, as far as I know. Very easy to you know walk into the Google model and Google Docs can be authenticated wherever you are. Google Analytics, Google's, you know, all of the Google apps that they put out there are instantly authenticated because your login is constantly managed as part of the app. Can you do that for the enterprise? Mm, that's that's pretty difficult, mm. right? That's pretty difficult given, but that's the goal in the longer term. So I think you probably don't want the, the, the sorts of things that will manage. I think one of the other interesting things about 5G that's going to change is the arrival of satellite networks, which is something I... I'm looking to find somebody who can we come and talk to us about satellite networks. No, no satellite specifically. We talking the new low Earth orbiting satellites that are going to give us reasonable latency, or just broadly speaking, satellite no matter where and what the latency profile is. Well, there's three or four different companies doing these mass satellite networks in, as you say, low Earth orbits, like five five hundred kilometers up. Normally, the satellites used to sit in a much further up, something like three or four thousand kilometers. I'm not. I yeah, have got all the numbers in yeah, my head. Yeah, there's, there's middle and, and high. I forget the numbers yeah. too, but but the latency profile is very dramatic for the geostationary orbiting uh, yes. ones. You get you can see so it today, all the time, but it's hundreds of milliseconds of latency. Yes, so it, often up to a second, like a thousand milliseconds of latency on the on the satellites. But that was because satellites used to have to be very very large. They used to be measured in tons, whereas these new satellite networks are using microsatellites, which are measured in kilos. And we recently saw SpaceX have a, a launch where they put 60 of them up there. Yep. And unlike some satellites, which go up into space and then boost into their orbit to achieve the orbit, these ones are actually taking, they'll take three to six months to find their orbit because they have little gas-powered um, rockets and they'll fire the gas rocket now but wait two months for it to get to somewhere else before they fire it again. Anyway, so st satellite, uh, uh, SpaceX has a network called StarX, I think, can't remember exactly what it's for, what it's called. But they they were originally talking about having 4,000 satellites in a, in a 500-kilometer orbit. Now they're talking about having three layers of satellites. So there's a, a, a ground-to-space a ground orbit, and then there's a backbone network above it. It's a bit like an ECMP. Can you believe that? Interesting. So that's, they're really talking about it, yeah. Uh, Whether they do it or not, we don't know. They, the, the plans keep evolving and changing. But I guess the point here is that one of the things that they're talking about in the 5G forums about this is instead of running fiber to the tower, they're talking about using the satellite as a takeoff. So if you've got stuff that's just going to stay local, we'll keep it local, run it off on the fiber so you don't have to expand your fiber network. But if you're going to send it off to you know, transnational, just shoot it straight up to the 5G 
straight shoot it up to the space network and boom, you're off, right? So that's an interesting change in the way systems work because all and that's, of a sudden, that's not fantasy. By by the by, I I, I know that the uh, satellites are going up now, and the timetable has actually been accelerated for these these networks where mm. these low Earth orbiting satellite uh, internet capable networks are going to be reality in in months and years, not years or decades. Yes. Now that's five years away, <laughs> you know, in any realistic, because you've for got a, to have for a full deployment. Yeah, I, yeah, I for agree, because they need a ton of satellites up there to to get the coverage. Yeah, and the satellites operate in a mesh, and it's going to be very, very powerful for getting rural coverage. Imagine a rural base station, and the only thing you have to put in there is power and a tower, and then everything's a space a satellite shot after that. And that's why we're seeing um, Bezos's uh, Blue Origin. He's talking about doing a satellite network as well. Turns out that it's great building a rocket, but if you want to be financially viable, you actually have to have a business that needs rocket launches all the time. <laughs> and one of the things I found out the other day is apparently SpaceX is running out of things to launch. It's so good at it <laughs> that, that, that nobody's got anything to launch. Well, the point so, you just made about rural broadband, not that we want to go off on that too far, but it is an important point in the sense that um, I'm, I'm moving to an even more rural place than I live currently. <laughs> and one of the yeah. decision points was, can I get effective broadband connectivity? Wouldn't it be nice to not mm-hmm. have to have a decision built around that? Well, I had to move house to get bandwidth. So, you know, back when we started... This this podcast, I was living in, well, it wasn't rural, but there was no broadband. It was one twenty one one meg down and f- I think two fifty six k up. <laughs> it was really hard to run packet pushes in the early days. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's been since you got the new house and with the yeah. uh, you know the fast Ethernet connection, hundred meg or gig or whatever you've yeah. got now. I'd forgotten that. Sometimes Greg's signal was crap and we were recording the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'd drop off for a few minutes while I rebooted the, yeah, it was dreadful. Oh. Uh, it used to happen. But now I have, you know, I, I moved into a, into the town where there was high-speed internet and it's been great. But yeah, that was, it would be nice to think that there's an option for satellite. I had it's high speed too. So this, these new satellites are close enough to the ground so that the latency is not high. So in, in, in I've seen various brags that you know, it's actually faster than terrestrial cable because you know you go up and it's a direct line. Whereas some of the cables in the ground, you've got you go over land for a certain, and then you reach the transatlantic cable, and then you blah blah blah. Mm, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's not get too excited. Yeah, well, color me dubious, but okay, I'll take that at face value. But you know, I'll be sucking on a lemon while I'm trying to suck take that on board. But I do think that's very interesting in way of saying that five G. Because 5G is a, is a time of change, you're moving from 4G to, the, to, to 5G, uh, you're certainly seeing a difference. Now, this brings a point up, right? You talked earlier about, or you mentioned in passing, why, what's going to fund 5G or why are the telcos doing 5G? And I think the fun answer here is they're not doing it to, make, to charge more because the surveys suggest no one's going to pay more. No one's going to race out and buy 5G phones. Well, sorry. Some there's always some fool out there who wants bigger, better, faster, but it's not everybody. I think a lot of people are quite happy with 4G. They can stream YouTube on it. It works okay for everything that they need. There's nobody wanting more bandwidth, particularly, or not a substantial number of people saying, my phone sucks because my bandwidth is bad. Mm-hmm. Certainly was true in the early days of 2G, 3G, you know, blah, 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 but not so much today. I think the interesting thing about 5G that we need to be thinking of as networking professionals is the real advance here in 5G 
is what the telco is operating. So software defined, there's a lot of white box or open software in these 5G architectures. Uh, Verizon AT&T particularly are leading efforts to use open source software at the base station. So instead of paying Nokia, Ericsson, or Huawei this expensive software in the backbone, now for the RAN software, they're actually going to just use open source for some of it. it. It may not work. It may not be successful. But I tell you what, it won't be for lack of effort, right? <laughs> so it won't be because some executive said, that sounds really hard. Let's just give you know a vendor lots and lots of money so I can just go home. So they're definitely making a go out of it. And the other thing is that what they're really doing is setting themselves up for more density. So 5G, they probably won't be able to charge more for 5G, except in the early days for the suckers who want it. It's going to be about having support for IoT, support for edge devices. So one of the things I brought up in my white paper is, let's say you're a company that's making picture frames. And what you want to sell to people is a picture frame that just works. So maybe what you want to do is put a 5G SIM in the back of that and send it out. And it just works anywhere in the world. Or let's say you're an IoT. Let's say you're a factory. Per, you, you monitor stuff in a factory and you don't want the sensors to be using the Wi-Fi of the building. So you just put a 5G sensor in them. Or maybe you're somebody in a store and you're selling a product that calculates how many times people walk through the door and where they work around it. And you're running that as a managed service. Well, you don't want to be working with each branch store to set up a Wi-Fi to connect your IoT devices. Why not just have your IoT directly connected to the 5G network? Right? And you negotiate with a 5G vendor all over the world and your Johnson Controls or your you know, ABB, you're one of these big companies and you ship out these sensors or house, or maybe you're somebody who wants to put uh, light bulbs in, a person, in somebody's house, but you don't want to have to let them configure it onto the Wi-Fi and go through all the pain of all that. Maybe just connect it to the 5G and, let the, and then give them an app that connects over the 5G, you know, blah, 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 and away it goes. That is where the growth is. These new services, new connections, new devices, and that's the money that's going to pay for this new network, plus the operational efficiencies they get from new technology. That is a long payoff, though. That is, but I, I see what you're saying. But yeah, it's going to take time to get there. Oh boy, it is. It is early days for this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's Nets never stopped us from making stuff up before. <laughs> well, maybe we're done making stuff up for today, my friend. We've been uh, going yes. on about this for almost an hour, and I think we should probably call it. Uh, Greg, we don't usually talk about ourselves on the podcast, but hey, it's just you and I, so why don't we do that real quick? Uh, Greg, how do people follow you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter on at Ethereal Mind. Uh, I've been writing a lot for Ignition these days. Ignition is our membership platform where we write content. Um, we're trying to write stuff there that's useful for you. It's not stuff that we would blog, right? So once upon a time, we used to write a lot of blogs, and blogging is a different style of writing. It's a different type of information. But now we're starting to dive deeper. And you might be interested in the white paper I wrote, 5G and the Enterprise, which uh, a lot of some of this discussion I came into, I, I brought into here. But there's still more in there, I think. But <laughs> maybe you'd be interested in signing up. It's 100 bucks a year. And we're um, getting a whole bunch of people to write stuff for us and to make it uh, a, something useful for you uh, to fill in the gaps in your career knowledge. I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter, and I am also writing and working on content for Ignition. i got a lot of things in the pipeline, several half-done projects and so on that I've got to bring over the finish line and hit publish on. And, uh, and this, of course, has been Heavy Networking, the uh, way we got started here at the Packet Pushers podcast network for IT 
professionals. If you go to packetpushers.net, we got over a thousand other episodes. It's got to be up over 1500 or something now. I got to check. It's that we keep putting out shows and shows week after week, all for networking and infrastructure professionals. Uh, Shows like Day 2 Cloud with uh, Ned Belavance. Uh, If you're a cloud operator and need to learn more about cloud, that's a show you should be subscribing to on packetpushers.net. If you want to harass Greg and I and uh, Drew, tweet at packetpushers. We're all following uh, your tweets that go to at packetpushers. We'll respond to you there. You can follow us on LinkedIn, if you like. Um, and again, as Greg said, take, become a premium member at ignition.packetpushers.net. Just take a minute to do that. We would appreciate that. hundred bucks a year. We're not asking for a lot and hope we we're giving you much more than you're spending at that dollar value. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>